Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode in This Week in Hearing. Uh, I have with me Simon Solomonifar. She's a research scientist and product specialist at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. And she's going to share her research that she's done on cochlear implants and how it affects the way people speak. Uh, Simon, please introduce yourself and share more. Hi, Andrew, and hi, everyone. Thank you for having me here today. My name is Simon. I'm thrilled to be here as a guest on this amazing podcast. A little background about me is that I got my bachelor's and master's degree in audiology. And then I started my PhD program in speech and hearing science at U of I. Now I'm approaching the end of my program uh, and I'm working on my dissertation, which I'm excited to talk about it today. I've dedicated the research, my research area focused on um, hearing impaired community, specifically those with cochlear implants. And today I'm excited to share insights and conclusions drawn my, uh, from my research. And thank you again for having me today. And, and I'm ready to jump right in and explore the fascinating world of hearing care and uh, cochlear implants. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. Uh, it was my good fortune to hear some of this research at the Project Voice Conference earlier. And so I'm really excited for uh, listeners, especially hearing care professionals, to understand more about what you did. Let's start by explaining what was the problem that you were looking to investigate when you embarked on this research? Um, sure. So um, as I said, my research focuses on cochlear implants. So for people who are not familiar with this technology, I'm going to just um, give you a brief um, like description. So cochlear implants are like tiny medical devices that are implanted into our inner ears uh, to provide a sense of sound and to restore um, the hearing to normal level for people with severe to profound hearing loss. And these devices consist of an external part and internal part. They convert like digital acoustic signal to digital version. And they can be implanted on both ears. Uh, we call it bilateral or on just one ear that we call a unilateral implantation. Well, so far, the majority of research has been focused on evaluating the impact of these devices on speech perception or on localization or other perceptual abilities in um, cochlear implant users. And, you know, these studies have constantly showed a significant improvement of cochlear implants on speech perception, either in quiet or noise or localization or these types of areas. And also they showed that the use of using both devices, cochlear implants, um, it's, it, have like a, uh, it has like greater benefits compared to just having one ear and one device. Because you know, bilateral devices, they can give you more natural and enhanced listening experience. They can resemble binaural hearing abilities that normal hearing listener um, has. But the question here is that how about their voice? Um, voice in hearing impaired and specifically those with cochlear implants, um, is an area that received uh, less attention. Um, so that was the big, the first question that uh, brought me to this research. And then, so we know that, uh, I'm gonna go a little bit um, into details. So we know that um, we perceive, um, and then what we perceive that it can change what we produce. You could hear yourself and then monitor yourself and then you can correct uh, the errors in your speech production real time 
while you are hearing yourself. So this is called speech perception and production loop, and it can be activated by different types of feedbacks. And the most important one is auditory feedback. So we know that CI users have access to auditory feedback, even to a limited extent after CI surgery. So like compared to before uh, getting CI, they're gonna be better in monitoring their voice. Um, but the problem is that they still show some struggles and problems with certain type of um, vocal tasks or certain types of uh, their voice speech, uh, like, uh, features. So they could have robotic or monotonic uh, voice, making it difficult for others to understand them. They may have difficulty regulating their pitch and their pitch uh, uh, level, their loudness level, and it leads to further communication barriers um, for them. Uh, and you know these challenges they can have like impact uh, affecting their social interactions, job opportunities, and overall quality of their life. So if you have worked with them, you might notice that um, they may complain about the level of their uh, voice, and they're not sure that how loud or soft they're speaking, right? So I was wondering that what is the effect of using these devices, specifically both together on their voice and on their ability to control the volume of their voice? So that was the big picture of uh, um, what I did in my research, the specific goal, yeah. You know, it's interesting when I first heard you say that at the conference, I had to think a little bit about you know, internalize what you said. And I realized a good example of that for people to consider is when you wear occluding earphones. Or even if you wear, I've tried lots and lots of hearing assist devices and, you know, what be, now became over-the-counter hearing aids. And if they're occluding devices, you tend to speak more quietly. And so I would take these to a loud restaurant and wear them and try them out. And my spouse would be on the other side of the table. And she's like, you have to talk louder. You have to talk louder because the perception of my voice was different than what she was hearing. Absolutely. And so that that makes a lot of sense. And I know even hearing aid people have to work on feeding a natural amount of voice into people's ears so that their self-perception is, is accurate. But I understand with cochlear implants, because you're not necessarily 100% mitigating really severe, profound hearing loss, because that's the state of cochlear implant technology, this could become a real problem. Now, you had some collaborators when you did this research, too. Who was involved in it? Uh, sure. We, um, I'm working in binaural hearing lab at U of I, and my supervisor is Dr. Justin Aronoff. Uh, we're together running this uh, project. There are some other students involved in the lab. Um, but And we recently are collaborating. Uh, we, we are using like Cochlear America's brand in our um, uh, research, and we're looking forward to do the same research with other brands. So, so okay. far, everything is going on in our lab. Yeah. Okay, okay, got it. And so then, uh, how actually did you conduct the research? What was the structure of the research? And how did you go about determining people's self-voice perception and yeah, its sure. effects? Yeah, that's a great question. So we recorded uh, the voices of 13 individuals with bilateral uh, cochlear implants. As I said, they all had the same brand, Cochlear Americas, and they performed a sustained uh, vowel vocalization test. So I recorded their voice while producing 12 American English vowels. Um, 
in different uh, con in three different conditions and they were randomly chosen. So the conditions were using both devices together while producing the vowel and then using each ear uh, individually and alone, right ear alone and then left ear alone. And to see how good they are at controlling the variation of their voice volume, we use a metric that is called um, variation of peak amplitude or VAM, that is a measurement of long-term control of amplitude variation. And it actually shows the stability of loudness or volume over a waveform. And having higher value of this metric, it means having greater variations or uh, less ability, poorer ability to control the volume of um, your voice. So actually we were looking for uh, like a smaller values. A smaller values means better um, control. And then, okay. yeah, that was the um, method that we used for our uh, research. <laughs> and so then did you find that people spoke with a consistently different volume or their, their volume was actually wavering as they spoke? Yeah, exactly. So what we saw was that um, the results of this study showed when CI users, um, they use their devices to vocalize, they show a high amount of variation in their um, like uh, voice, in their waveform. So for example, like a normal hearing listeners, they easily can keep their voice at a fixed level and produce a long vowel like ah, uh, ah, uh, for like five seconds or maybe longer. So, and you can see a smooth and flat waveform in their voice. They're just like, say, ah, uh, without any like going up and down. But what we saw for um, CI users, either bilateral CI users or unilateral ones, we saw a lot of variation in their voices compared to normal hearing listeners. They couldn't fix their voice at the same level there were a lot of like, ah, oh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, you know, like uh, going up and down peaks and valleys. But that wasn't the, um, like the only fact or finding of this study. The, the most interesting one was that as soon as bilateral CI users switched to use just one device, they got better at controlling their voice. We could see um, like um, lower amount of variation, loudness and volume variation in their voice as soon as they turn off one of the devices. So it's kind of like contrary to popular beliefs that we're saying, you know, having two devices is kind of like resembling having two ears and you can get better at like speech perception. But when it comes to speech production, it's kind of like, you know, we can see conflicts. We can see that, oh, no, when they use just one device, they can get better at controlling um, their voice. And this is not just on um, level. So we previously did a research in our lab and we saw kind of the same effect for the pitch of their voice, how they can be accurate at like singing, how they can keep their uh, the pitch of their voice at a specific level. And again, we saw that they're pretty good uh, with using just one device compared to both device in uh, like voice test. Um, so the general conclusion of uh, this research was that using, it seems that using both devices, although it has its own benefit in perceptual tests, but it seems that it's negatively affect their voice in CI user. So, so yeah. that seems to imply that the vocalization auditory feedback loop is actually broken. Right. So like I use the example of occluding earphones. OK, it just it caused me to speak at a lower volume. It was consistent volume, just lower. 
And with a little bit of practice, I could raise my voice and speak so other people could hear me wearing an occluded earphone. But you're implying really that the whole feedback loop is broken if both volume and pitch are wavering all over the place. Uh, yeah. would, you, would you draw that conclusion? And if so, uh, are there actually any remedies for that? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I mean, the, the, the reason is not clear enough yet, but what we assume is that there might be a mismatch in loudness cues that they can get from each ear. And as I mentioned before, what you perceive can ex can like reflect on your production. So if you get mismatched cues from like each ear, it makes a confusion when you wanna produce uh, like a vowel or a word or a, like long sentence. It could be because of auditory mismatch, as you mentioned, between ears. It could be even like um, neural health, uh, you might have like a better neural health in your one of your ears. This is not something that can get like easily fixed. But um, for remedies, uh, like what we can do firstly is that like CI manufacturer, they can work on syncing two to devices like at the maximum rate. So if we can get the same cues from each ear, I assume that it kind of like solved the problem to a great extent. Um, but then when it comes to like voice um, um, experts or lang speech language pathologies, I kind of have some like takeaways for them that I can mention later in the in our discussion, right? Okay, so the, the immediate takeaway is that it's more about the mismatch than it is the function of the CI itself. Right. And are there... Are there things that hearing care professionals can do in the adjustments in the settings of the CIs in order to get the perception of the voice more matched on one side versus the other? Or is that really an issue for the manufacturers? Uh, so it first um, um, is, it depends on CI manufacturer, but CI, but voice expert and speech language pathologists, they can work to train um, CI users uh, to to constantly monitor the, um, their voice uh, consciously, you know? So I'm gonna like briefly first talk about a, a little bit about impact of this issue on their communication life. Uh, so like having problem with volume control, it can impact their uh, like communication for CI users. For example, speaking too loudly or too softly, it can make it difficult for others to understand them. It can also make uh, fatigue or discomfort for listeners or speaker. And, you know, I had some CI users that saying, um, they assume they're talking like normally, but by reading um, other people like facial expression, they they realize that they're too loud and they they lost their interest in conversation, you know, and also like in inconsistent um, like um, um, volume, it can make it harder for listener to follow the follow up conversation, and it becomes very important when you are in a group setting, on or, or when you are talking about like a complex um, topic, you know. But more important thing is that CI users are at a risk of developing voice disorders. So these disorders can happen because of increased strain placed on their vocal cord when they speak uh, with high like volume variation. And these strain, they can lead to um, hoarseness, uh, vocal fatigue, or vocal other vocal uh, problems and disorders. So CI users, they may experience 
discomfort or even pain when they speak. So that's why that I wanted to mention this before talking about takeaway for um, hearing care professionals, because it's really important to diagnose their voice disorders um, from the earliest stages and, you know, um, avoid to um, like leading to further um, disorder and disabilities for them. And then, so here are uh, a few takeaways that I have. Um, like hearing care professionals, they should evaluate and monitor their um, patient's voice quality as part of their regular uh, and overall care. And by incorporating voice evaluation into a routine assessment, they can identify um, difficulties in their patient's voice quality. Also, um, um, audiologists, they can tailor CI um, feeding to, to change the settings to the way that they can Maxim, they, they can maximize matchness between you know the cues that mm -hmm. participants get from each year. So part of it is uh, on our audiologists in the hearing care team, and then education and counseling also is very important. Professionals could educate their patients about the potential changes in their voice quality and the important importance of uh, vocal health. I had some CI users in the lab that they had um, history of. Um, um, alcoholism or smoking, and they worse got they 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 worse got worse than the other peers in the same group of you know um, hearing impaired community. So they should care about their um, like uh, vocal health, and uh, also hearing care professional they can provide strategies to um, and some like exercises to help patients improve their vocal health and um, change the overall of uh, um, their communication. And also like collaboration and interdisciplinary approaches uh, is very important. Hearing care professional can work closely with speech language pathologists, with vocal um, therapists, and they can develop some treatment plans um, that it can both address the auditory need and the vocal aspect of um, communication for CI users. So they were some like takeaways yeah, from this research. Okay, that's really interesting. And what you know what I what I asked earlier that if the feedback loop was broken isn't really true. It's only that when you have the mismatch, you don't know how to interpret that. And so you're going to waver all over the place. But it sounds like then with appropriate training, say from a speech language pathologist, you can actually work within the new feedback signals, if you will, and learn how to modulate and control the pitch of your voice, even so. Is that correct? Exactly. So um, as we talked in um, uh, Voice AI conference, so professionals, um, they can explore the integration of Voice AI technology into their practice. So Voice AI systems can provide real-time feedback on various aspects of a speech, so, uh, like pitch, um, loudness, uh, intonation. So by using these tools, like hearing care professionals, they can empower their patients to self-monitor and to make adjustment to their speech. Uh, and it will ultimately improve their voice quality. So for example, if a voice AI can just monitor their voice for a long time, for a long like um, period log, the, um, the voice expert, the speech language pathologist and the hearing care team, they can monitor the changes in uh, CI user's voice and they can teach them how they can make adjustment to make their voice fixed as a, a in the same level. So there are some like training methods that they can absolutely use to improve their um, like uh, voice quality and communication skills. 
Okay, so so in addition to in-person training and rehab from an SLP, you're saying there are also these sort of AI-based tools. Are they already available or is that something that would be possible? Uh, I think the both. Um, so there, as I heard, I'm not uh, like very familiar with the technology, but as I heard, um, there are some technologies that they're launched, but they're planning to just get it better and better, uh, become better and better. Uh, so I think it's not ready to use like in a larger scale, but I'm hoping that very soon they can just be very useful. Yeah. Okay, which is really interesting because I know at least one of the CI manufacturers has an oral rehab program already that can mm -hmm. be used to complement in-person rehab and training. And so what you're saying is, is if these, these uh, sorts of AI-based tools are built into those, people can do additional kind of, you know, like like physical rehab, right? Do additional rehab at home for, with the tools in addition to having in-person rehab with an SLP and therefore improve the way they vocalize. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because, you know, voice AI, they can provide feedback. So, um, and they can be like a kind of like personal coach for RCI users. I, many of my like subjects, they have desires to sing or play in a band. So just imagine such a monitor system, they can help them to sing or play in tune. Um, so yeah, besides having or participating in uh, rehabilitation programs, they can have their own uh, personal coach at, at their home, yeah. Oh, which is Which is really, really interesting because in thinking of, you know, the greater lifestyle and, uh, you know, uh, well-being of a person is more than just listening one-on-one -on -one with a hearing aid or a cochlear implant. It's all the other things they do in their life, too. If exactly, yeah. They want to experience a full life. Yeah, they want to, they, they really have desires to sing. I have a lot of, like, subjects in the lab that they, before, like, um, getting CI or before, um, like, becoming deaf, they, they were playing, they were playing some instruments or they were singing, but they couldn't after that. So they, they really would like to enjoy different aspects of their lives. And I, and I think they deserve it. So I'm very looking forward to see how technology can be integrated in their lives and improve their, um, the quality of their life. Yeah. Well, this is a really fascinating line of research and I can really see how it, it, it will in the end help CI users lead a fuller and more enjoyable life and all the different things that they do, whether it's music, the way they interact professionally and how important it is to be able to hear and speak well professionally, lots of different parts of a person's lifestyle that this research has the potential uh, exactly. to affect in a positive way. So uh, no, it's, it's, it's terrific. And I look forward to seeing how this all plays out in terms of the therapies and the tools you named. So I appreciate you coming on to explain that to us. Do you have any closing thoughts for people? Um, no, thank you so much, Andrew, for having me on this weekend hearing today. It's been a pleasure to share my research and decide with your audience. Um, and yeah, that's it. Thank you. And if people want to engage with you after hearing this podcast, uh, how do they reach you? They can check my um, LinkedIn page. Uh, all of my contact information is on my uh, LinkedIn account. Um, and yeah, we're actually so we're um, recruiting for CI users in the lab. So if any of um, these people are watching this podcast, uh, I would love to invite them to come to our lab. We're doing a lot of like different experiments and for other, uh, for like hearing care professionals teams, they can reach out to me. Um, sure, absolutely on my LinkedIn account.
Well, thank you, Simon. I appreciate you coming on and uh, everybody watching. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Have a great day, Andrew. Same to you.